Hello and welcome to episode one of the Upper 90, WMUC Sports' new Premier League show. I'm Sam Culp, and every week I'll be breaking down the previous week's matches, discussing any transfer news, and giving my thoughts on the English, English top flight. So I'm not going to waste any time. Another busy, busy week in the Premier League. Lots of great matches. Lower scoring matches, but still entertaining ones. So uh, basically the format of the show, I'm going to start with what I'm calling quick hits. Just some brief notes um, surrounding the football world. Obviously focus on the Premier League. Then I'll break down some of the, the big matches of the, matches of the weekend. Um, give my thoughts on the main moments. Uh, some of the projections that I see going forward for the for the main teams, the competing teams at the top of the table. And then uh, I'll also conclude the show with questions from you guys, the listeners. Um, I really want to make this pod, uh, this uh, show uh, oriented around the soccer fans who are looking to uh, listen to someone share their opinions on the Premier League. I know as an, Amer- as an American soccer fan, that can be hard to come by sometimes. So you can send any questions that you have about the Premier League, about soccer in general, to my Twitter, at Culp underscore Sam, or uh, the WMUC Sports Twitter, at WMUC Sports. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to waste any more time. Starting with quick hits. First of all, injuries. Got a couple injuries to talk about, um, most notably from this weekend. Sergio Aguero uh, re-injured a hamstring. Um, he, had, he had come off of a four-month uh time away from play with a knee injury comes back aggravates a hamstring injury that Pep Guardiola has said he had from earlier that he's been working through in training injured that in Manchester City's 1-1 draw against West Ham he's, he's a key component to what they do they've obviously um, been successful without him last year finishing finishing second in the league and this year um, playing still you know at a relatively high level but it's it's a devastating injury for him Brings up questions about his longevity in the Premier League, how long he's going to be able to play, because um, the injuries just keep coming. As I said earlier, knee injury, now the hamstring. Um, and it, 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 uh, Pep Guardiola hasn't specified the severity of the injury, um, but hopefully for him it's it's not too bad, and he'll be back playing soon. The other big injury this uh, that occurred last week, Virgil van Dijk uh, had an ACL injury against Everton, we know it's serious. We knew it was serious. Didn't quite know the extent until this week. But um, Liverpool has announced that he'll be out eight to nine months with, with a third-degree ACL sprain. Serious, serious injury. <clears throat> Excuse me. For a team that, um, you know, was just running into form. It looked like Liverpool had finally turned the corner and was, was starting to look like the team from last season. Now they lose their best defender. Um, obviously, you know, hoping Virgil can get back onto the field as soon as possible. He's so exciting to watch. He's a great player, one of the best in the Premier League, um, and it's a it's a devastating blow for Liverpool. But you know, they're still strong on the back end. Uh, they they had a big two one win over Sheffield United this weekend. Looked pretty strong defensively. Um, you know, Sheffield, a team that doesn't exactly attack well, uh, still Sheffield has yet to win a game, so. You know, we'll take everything with a grain of, uh, grain of salt um, when a top team like Liverpool is playing them. But 2-1 victory, first win without uh, Van Dijk. Um, and yeah, they'll have to, to get back to their previous year's form without him. All right, 
Moving into this week's matches, a lot of low-scoring games, and most notably, uh, biggest match of the weekend, two, two big clubs looking to uh, you know regain their form, and that's Chelsea and Man United, nil-nil draw at Old Trafford, a game that was really filled with great defensive play. You know, coming into the match, it was both both clubs kind of were on a similar trajectory. Manchester United, high expectations, uh, second season with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and uh, you know they wanted to finish, still want to finish top four, but they looked so strong at the end of last year with Martial, Rashford, Fernandez coming in there, um, and the expectations among Man United fans obviously very high. They haven't quite met them this season. And uh, Solskjaer is facing a lot of criticism over that. They started out really slow, 6-1 defeat to Tottenham earlier in the year. Excuse me, earlier in the season. You know, can't have that result if you want to compete in the top four. And, you know, they've somewhat turned a corner in recent days. 4-1 win over Newcastle, beating PSG in the Champions League. And then they come to Chelsea, and uh, at home, of course and hope for a big result. They didn't get it. As I said, nil-nil draw. And, and you know, they looked strong for the majority of the game, especially on the defensive end. I thought they were, you know, really productive. They held a, a good Chelsea attack in check. Personally, I thought their best player was Victor Lindelof on the back end for Manchester United. He had a great game. He also showed some of his ability to move up in the attack which is a good sign for Manchester United. But um, again, there are still some problems there. It, it just seems like they're disjointed. To me, that has a lot to do with their tactics. You know, personally, I don't rate Solskjaer as a great manager. I think he's a little bit over his head at Manchester United. Similar situation for Frank Lampard, no doubt. Because remember Frank, or uh, uh, Frank Lampard started off at Derby, Derby County. You know, lower level championship club, moved up to Chelsea, and I know he's a, he's a Chelsea legend, and he was a great uh, player during his time in the Premier League. But as a manager, I feel like him and Solskjaer are kind of in the same boat, where they have expectations that are a little bit too high uh, for their quality of managing. Um, so getting back to Manchester United, you know, defensive game, nil nil. Both sides were kind of tentative. Manchester United. You know, a little bit hesitant to move up. I think they were a little afraid of getting caught in a counterattack by Chelsea. But, you know, from their end, I think it's a disappointing result at home against Old Trafford. Coming off that win against PSG, you want to do better in that situation, in that big game. And it kind of feels like for them, the momentum is a little bit gone. And in a long Premier League season, you kind of get need to get into those streaks and win those big games against the big six clubs like Chelsea. Their best player, as I said, was Lindelof. Player who I think could have played better is Luke Shaw. He was just getting beat up, um, really, by the Chelsea wingbacks, Reese James and Ben Chilwell. Um, Chelsea was attacking the flanks really well. That's where they got most of their chances. United did get the better chances in the match. Uh, Marcus Rashford nearly scored a goal. A great save by Edouard Mendy, who is the, uh, the new goalkeeper for Chelsea. And that kind of transitions into what I thought was the biggest takeaway of the game for either side, and that is the importance of a goalkeeper in Chelsea's system cannot be overstated. Last year, every fan of the Premier League knows how bad Kepa was, Kepa Aretha Balaga. 
Chelsea's record-setting goalkeeper. They paid upwards of 80 million pounds to get him to the club. He is disappointed in ways that can't really be expressed. He was so bad last year, statistically one of the worst goalkeepers in the EPL. Uh, only a 54% save percentage. 54%. I mean, that is that that number is way too low for a goalkeeper that was brought in for 80 million, much less for a goalkeeper really in the Premier League. That shouldn't happen. Um, this year, Chelsea made the switch to Edouard Mendy. They acquired him from Rennes. Uh, during the transfer window, and he's been he's been a big part of why they've had two clean sheets in a row, first against Sevilla in the Champions League and then on Saturday against United. Um, and he was spectacular again, sa- made a big save again against Rashford, made some other great stops at the end of the match um, to keep it nil-nil, and, you know, it, it it's it's amazing. The, the bar is set very low for Mendy, but it's amazing how much his impact has already been felt on the club I'll be honest, I am a Chelsea supporter, so seeing a somewhat, even a somewhat competent goalkeeper is is a sign of relief for me, um, but, you know, the, the, the goalkeeper play was excellent, the defense, the, the back line for Chelsea was pretty strong, Thiago Silva, I think, was the best player, was the man of the match, really, for Chelsea, um, he made some great stops especially when Edinson Cavani came on in the second half, Manchester United's new signing from PSG. They used, they actually used to be teammates at PSG, and Silva really locked them down nicely. Um, Chelsea going forward, I mean, the expectations were so high coming in, as I said earlier. Frank Lampard has to live up to them or else he's going to lose his job. Um, and they, they need to start getting better in the attack. And um, while the defensive line has been strong the last couple of matches, the attack has dropped off. And which is which is something crazy to say when you consider their talent, right? Christian Pulisic, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Hakim Ziyech, Mateo Kovacic, and Golo Kante. The the attacking needs to be stronger from Chelsea, especially if they want to compete for those uh, for that top spot in the Premier League. At the start of the season, the expectation I think on Frank Lampard was title. They haven't reached that this year, and it's up to him to to figure things out. My opinion, he's got a month left to to um, to put everything together. Chelsea continue to get nil nil draws and you know not being able to to get three points against West Brom like they did earlier in the season. It's going to be hard for me to uh, to argue for him keeping for Lampard keeping his job. But with that, bottom line from this match was really two clubs that that should be better than they're playing right now, and it's up to the managers to figure that out. Or else, you know, their jobs are in jeopardy. All right, moving on. Next match I want to talk about is Leicester versus Arsenal. Big matchup between two sides that are really trying to get back their form from a couple years ago, get back into the top four. Arsenal, obviously, in recent seasons has just been abysmal. Lucky to even get European uh, spots last year. Coming into this year, this year though the expectations for Mikel Arteta and his you know technically second season but really first full season uh, at the helm of the Gunners was top four, and early on they haven't looked that way. Leicester on the other hand, you know Brendan Rodgers I think the expectations were you know finish in the European spots, but top four is is going to be a difficult goal for that team in my opinion. But they did get a one 0 win over Arsenal on the weekend. 
It's a great win for them. Jamie Vardy scoring the game-winning goal in the 80th minute. Um, again, Arsenal just can't win against these big clubs. Last weekend, they lost to Manchester City 1-0. They haven't beaten a big six club on the road since 2015. 29 straight matches, that is. And I know Leicester isn't a big six club, but it still shows that Arsenal struggles in these big matches. Even though they've had a good run of form in recent years against Leicester, they, they seem to falter when the spotlight is biggest. And, you know, in this match, they, they really looked flat for a lot of the game, um, especially in the second half. In the first half, they did get, uh, you know, some good, pretty good chances. They actually scored a goal. It was disallowed, rightfully so, um, on an offside. But, you know, in the second half, they just came out very flat. Leicester dictated everything. Even though Arsenal dominated possession, it never really seemed like they were getting quality chances, and they didn't. Um, the best chance of the game was really, uh, you know, the the disallowed goal. That was really the only uh, quality shot on target they, they had the entire match. Leicester, on the other hand, they took advantage of the Arsenal back line that is dealing with some injuries. David Luiz had to uh, come off a little bit earlier than I think uh, Mikel Arteta had expected due to injury. Mustafi comes on, and he just couldn't contain Jamie Vardy. Few defenders can, um, but Mustafi was having all kinds of trouble, and eventually... Uh, Vardy makes a run, gets across, uh, and and finishes it with a nice header into the back of the net. Leicester win one nil. I really want to focus this on Arsenal though because um, they're a really curious team to me because I think they have the talent at the front to compete in in the top four to compete for one of those places. Um, Aubameyang obviously one of the best strikers in the EPL, although he hasn't lived up to that this season after getting a new contract from Arsenal. Has only scored one Premier League goal. That's concerning. Lacazette had a really great start to the season. Three goals early on. Hasn't scored one since, though. Missed some chances in this match, particularly. And bottom line, he has to be better. He was playing in the uh, central striker role. He's got to finish the quality chances when he gets them. And then on the right, they had Pepe for most of the match, who's, you know, been shaky. Um... Kind of an up-and-down year already for him. Arsenal paid a lot of money to get him, and he hasn't really produced in the way that they thought. You know, their their best striking threat, really, for the last two or three matches has been the 19-year-old Bukayo Saka, who um, can really do it all. He can play midfield on, uh, on the wings or up front, as he did against, um, as he did against Leicester. In my opinion, a lot of the blame for Arsenal's struggles, attacking-wise, is on Mikel Arteta. He has to be better, and I think a lot of Arsenal fans are a little bit hesitant to um, point out his faults because, you know, he won the FA Cup last year for Arsenal, had a great start. He's this young, up-and-coming manager who um, has been labeled as a player's manager. It seems like guys really want to play for him, but I think his ta- he's, he's gotten tactically outclassed in the past two matches against his former boss, Pep Guardiola, and now um, Brendan Rodgers with Leicester. The team just looked flat. Um, the ball really wasn't traveling from, from end to end. If you look at their heat map, you know, the um, you know, almost the ball, almost the entire match was kept in the middle to the back third. And that's concerning when you have the attacking talent to score. It's actually very similar to, to Chelsea's problems.
Um, and, you know, Arsenal are this team that, again, has the talent, I think, to compete for the top four, but just needs to put it together. At the end of the day, I don't see them competing um, for the Champions League positions. I think they're going to finish somewhere similar to last year, especially when you look at the quality of teams in the EPL this year. And losing a match to Leicester, at home, by the way, I mean, that's that's not going to cut it. And Arteta knows that. He has to be better. Um, I think he's made some confusing substitution decisions also in the last couple games. He likes to wait very late to substitute in, which is strange. Um, you know, it's just, it's just he, he just hasn't done well enough uh, recently. And, and I know we're only six weeks into the Premier League season, but, um, you know, if he keeps getting outclassed tactically by these, um, you know, upper-tier managers, I think it's going to show that he isn't quite ready um, to bring Arsenal to their formal glory. Leicester, on the other hand, um, you know, they they really just, they allowed, um, Arsenal really just played right into their hand. Um, they were perfectly capable with sitting back on the defense, waiting to counterattack, and they, they got an opportunity. They were setting up the long ball pass to, uh, to the um, to the front line all match, finally got a chance. Vardy finishes it off. And um, they're they're struggling with injury a little, but they'll, they'll get back to form, and they're another team to watch out for in the top four race. All right, final match of the week that I want to discuss, Leeds versus Aston Villa. Two clubs that were projected to finish near the bottom of the table by the end of the season. Both have already exceeded expectations. Aston Villa was actually perfect coming into this match. Four matches, 12 points, and uh, they've looked really strong all year. Leeds, on the other hand, a bit of a shakier start, although they've had to play some good clubs like Manchester City and Liverpool. But their counterattack is, in my opinion, second to none in the Premier League. They're so good. Marcelo Bielsa has engineered one of the best uh, attacks in the Premier League, in my opinion. Their problem is more in the defense, but they had, a, had a, played a fantastic match on Friday uh, on a Friday night with a 3-0 victory over Villa. They look so strong. 27 shots on goal, 9 on target, 60% possession. Bielsa just, I mean, Aston Villa really played into their hand. Um, they, they looked out of it on the attack. Jack Grealish, their star captain, never really got a chance to get going, and, and Leeds took advantage. But um, the significance of this match to me was the play of Patrick Bamford. He scored all three goals for Leeds. Uh, he's kind of been the, the um, I don't want to say scapegoat, but the, um, the man everyone has been looking at to step up now that Leeds have taken a jump back into the Premier League. And he hadn't played great to start, but this match he really came into his own, scored three goals couple of which were just incredible. The third goal, he, he, he was in between four defenders and just chipped it over the goalkeeper. It was beautiful. One of the best goals of the season, in my opinion. And it shows that um, he's ready to take this next step. He was a, he's a, um, a guy that was recruited um, by Chelsea. Chelsea were looking at him for a long time. They elected to go in a different direction. Didn't think he was really worthy of, um, you know, of being bought, and uh, he's starting to prove everyone wrong. And um, three goals for him, it's, 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 you know, it's a sign that even though Leeds might not have the defense and the talent as some of the 
as some of these other clubs. Um, if their players start to take that next step into the Premier League, they could be a mainstay for a long time. I really look at them like a um, like Sheffield from last year, a team that when the players, if the players can make that jump to the next level, they will finish in that top ten range, and definitely not out of the question for Leeds. They've already shown their their attacking talent, and a clean sheet for them is another important stepping stone going forward. Aston Villa, on the other hand, as I said, started perfect. First loss of the season comes against Leeds. Going forward, they, in my opinion, still have a lot to work on. They're not quite at that next level. They have a couple players who are, who, um, who are talented enough, you know, to play for those top level teams like Jack Grealish, but um, you know they're not quite there yet. Still have concerns about the defense. Um, Leeds really were able to chop them up, and once they start playing better clubs, especially, you know, considering how long the season is, it's really grind. I'm not sure that they're going to make it there. They'll they'll stay out of relegation, but um, you know, top four, even European spots, I think, are a little bit out of the question at the moment. But still, you know, this is a side that you look at as one of the up and comers in the Premier League. And uh, they have they have so much young talent, um, a lot of youth on that squad, and um, they'll they'll be up in the in the top ten eventually. Maybe even this season, we'll have to see how things play out. But yeah, it was a great match between two squads. They're they're both fun to watch. I mean, it was I even for a three nil uh, match, it was very entertaining, um, and I look forward to watching them for the rest of the season. All right, with that, I want to transition into uh, just some quick notes about the couple of the other matches. Manchester City drawing 1-1 with West Ham. City, I think, have, have been the biggest question mark of the Premier League season so far. For They're my title favorite. Um, at the start of the season, I predicted them to win the title. I still am sticking with my prediction, even though they haven't played great. The, the defense, particularly on the left side, has looked, I mean, really, really shaky. Um, but... Pep Guardiola has has been in situations like this before. He knows how to figure the, uh, a team out. He knows how to work with his players and eventually get them to where he needs them to be uh, in order to compete for that top spot. And with Van Dyke going down, they're my title favorite. A draw against West Ham on paper doesn't look good. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but I think you have to consider how well West Ham have been playing through these last couple of matches. The, the comeback against Tottenham... I mean, that was otherworldly. Um, down 3-0, 80th minute, they come back. Lanzini with the best, the goal of the season. I don't know if anyone's going to top that, and let's be honest. Um, so coming into this match, they're on a great run of form. They'd also beaten Leicester two matches ago. So uh, this is a squad that, that had some confidence. David Moyes has really turned around West Ham um, into a team that is... You know, competing against these top sides. So a draw isn't something out of the question um, for them against Man City. And they got off to a great start. McKellen, Antonio in a goal, with a goal in the 18th minute. It took another, um, took until the second half for Manchester City to respond. But a 1-1 draw is, is a result that I think um, at this point, West Ham is going to be very happy with. And Manchester City will be looking back thinking we should have gotten more.
Moving on, Everton losing 2-0 to Southampton. That was probably the most surprising result of the week. Southampton really played well. I mean, um, they they certainly outplayed Everton. There's not much more to say about that. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was really non-existent. He's been the best player for the, the Blues all season. Um, really just never got into the swing of the game. And, of course, the, the big controversy coming out of that game was the red card on Luca Dino. Kind of uh, tripped, I guess, on Walker Peters' ankle, and it was called a red. Um, it sort of looked like Walker Peters, as he was making a run forward, kind of stuck his leg out behind him, almost, just in, in a natural running motion. Dina kind of stepped on it hard. It, it, you know, it was a foul. Um, certainly not warranted of a red, though. There was no malicious atten- intent. It didn't look like Dina went in hard or anything. He was really just trying to catch up to Walker Peters as he made a run forward, and uh, the two kind of clashed legs. And unfortunately for Everton, uh, one of their best players of the match gets sent off, and that that was in the 71st minute, and from there, Everton really didn't stand a chance in, in, in a 2-0 defeat. They're still at the top of the table, but, you know, my concern all season with Everton is going to be um, their depth. You know, if if, if uh, Calvert-Lewin doesn't play well, who's going to score the goals? Who's going to step up? If James gets injured, who's going to take his spot? You know, they really lack the depth that some of these top-tier sides like City and Liverpool have, um, and that's the reason why I'm not sure that they're going to finish in the top four. And the final match of the week takes place actually tonight. I'm recording this on Monday. Um, it is Tottenham versus Burnley. I'm really curious to see how Tottenham responds after last week, that disastrous collapse against West Ham. Um, Burnley, you know, definitely not a side that should give Tottenham any problems, but the way things have been going this season and with these, you know, unexpected results, I kind of feel like who knows at this point, right? And uh, Tottenham absolutely have the talent to, to, to win this match and to compete. But, you know, I feel like you kind of never know with them anymore. You never really know with Spurs and Mourinho what you're going to get. Um, and I, I'd expect Mourinho to be livid after last week. But, um, you know, we'll see if that inspires them to, to come out here and, and, and win. I think if you're a Tottenham fan, you're looking for, you know, a multiple goal win and, and preferably a clean sheet to really make you feel confident about this squad. All right, so the last segment of the show is would be normally dedicated to listener questions. Unfortunately, I don't have any for this first episode, um, so I figured just to close the show out, I might as well give my top four for the season. I've already kind of hinted at it throughout the show, um, and, and, and obviously, you know, my predictions are a little bit skewed because we're already six weeks in, but I'll just call it my post-summer transfer window predictions. So top four in order. I think it's going to be United, Chelsea, Liverpool, City. So same top four as last year. I just look at the Premier League, even even with how strong some of the other clubs are. I, I'm, I'm really looking at depth as the key part of this season. Injuries, I think, are going to be high, just like they were um, with Project Restart at the end of at, at the end of last year's campaign. And that's not even including the COVID risks that are going to surround each club for the rest of the season. 
So, you know, I, I really look at depth as an indicator to where these clubs are going to finish. And I just think, you know, the, the Everton's, the Tottenham's, the Aston Villa's just don't have the depth to, to, to get into the uh, top four this year. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be close. It, it, if, if there's one thing we've already seen with this campaign, and it, it's that all 20 clubs are competing at a very high level. Each, almost every match has been competitive and close. And I think the table at the end of the year is going to reflect that. I have City at the top of the table really just based on the fact that I think Virgil van Dijk is, was such an important part of Liverpool's defense. He really held that back line together. Without him, I'm really worried about how they're going to play against the Chelsea, uh, against Chelsea and Man United and Man City. And I don't think they're going to be able to do enough to repeat as champions. champions Man City, on the other hand, I know they've had a rocky start, but I think they turn things around, and I think Pep gets them back to the top of the table. As for relegation, Fulham is the obvious bottom-of-the-table choice. They've really looked terrible to start the year. I'm not sure that they're even going to come close to getting out of the relegation zone. They they did pick up their first point last week against Sheffield, but, you know, other than... That other than one draw, they really just looked abysmal. They lose again this week to Crystal Palace. The other two clubs, I think it's going to be very tight, but the two clubs other than Fulham I'm looking at to be relegated are West Brom and Crystal Palace. They're definitely less talented than a lot of the other clubs in the Premier League, especially for Crystal Palace. I kind of feel like um, relegation is due. They've flirted with it for the past couple seasons, and now... I just think they're destined for relegation. I think too much of their offense goes through Wilfred Zaha, and that's a little concerning because if he goes down, then, you know, who are they going to turn to? West Brom does have some talented players, most notably Mateus Pereira, the Brazilian international. He's a really, really talented striker. He's going to be a superstar one day. But I think just at this moment, their talent just doesn't match up with some of the other clubs that are going to be fighting for relegation like Burnley and West Ham. So that those are my top four and relegation picks. A lot can change um, over the course of the next you know, five months. So uh, it is highly likely that I'm going to be wrong with all of them, but um, at this moment, that's where I think things stand. All right, that just about does it. For episode one of The Upper 90, you can follow me on Twitter at Culp underscore Sam. Please feel free to send any questions that you have about the Premier League, and I'll make sure to answer them on the next episode. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week.